You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Charmaine Matlock-Turner president and CEO of the Urban Affairs Coalition of Philadelphia. Charmaine, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Laura. It's my pleasure. Now, before we get into the official interview, I have to ask you, I'm dying to know since we're going into a little three, four day weekend for many of us, what's a movie that you could watch over and over again? Well, there's one movie that I absolutely love. Uh, It's called Claudine. I don't know how many people have had a chance to watch it, But it's the story of a woman who was on welfare and who meets a fantastic guy who happens to be someone who is a, what was then known as a garbage man. Today, we call them sanitation workers. Mm -hmm. And it was such a wonderful love story. And I think what always gets me with this movie is that Curtis Mayfield, who I consider just an absolutely musical genius, did the music for this wonderful story. So whenever I turn it on, I see and hear Curtis Mayfield, and then it reminds me of the story of many people that I care a lot about and how they ultimately overcome. Claudine. Okay. When was it made? It was made way back in the 1970s. Okay, everybody, go check out Claudine. I wonder if it's on Netflix or Prime Video, something like that. Any yes, idea? absolutely. I'm sure it's on one of them. I would definitely try to find it because it's definitely worth watching and as importantly, being inspired by the music. Ooh, I love it. All right, thank you very much. So now you've got your weekend homework, everybody. <laughs> Tell me a little bit then about the Urban Affairs Coalition. What exactly is it? Urban Affairs Coalition is celebrating its 51st year. As a matter of fact, we just had a big celebration last week. And so we're, thank you very much. And we really started in 1968 at a meeting in Philadelphia with business leaders, government leaders, community activists, and individuals after the tragic assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And it was a time of unrest. It sort of feels a little bit like it does today where people are trying to find their way and trying to get past some really bad, bad things that have been happening in our communities. And so people came together initially just to talk and connect but ultimately decided that we needed an organization. And so out of that grew the Urban Coalition. We've had a couple of name changes over the years. Today, we're the Urban Affairs Coalition, and we're a place for people to connect, to convene, and to collaborate. And we also work with other nonprofits to help them, what we say, to help doers and dreamers really do what they want to do, which is really change the world. And we try to make sure that there's a good platform and a good business background behind their ideas in order for them to do that. So that's what we do at the Urban Affairs Coalition. We have over 80 partners, and this year we'll have close to $65 million under management. Wow, that's fabulous. All right, then with all of those 80 partners and all of that wonderful budget, 
who do you need to influence in your current leadership role to have these massive changes? Well, as you can see from how I describe the organization, I need to influence everyone. And, <laughs> and I literally mean that, that I have to influence everyone. And the reason it is, is because we are a coalition. And so I sort of sit in the middle and everybody knows how difficult the middle seat is, mm. <laughs> whether you're on an airplane or whether you're in business. And the idea is to try to keep people connected and find ways that we can work together. You know, I always say it's pretty easy to figure out how to disagree because there's always going to be something that we disagree about. But our role is to try to find those areas where we can agree, but that are really important to changing communities. So I have to be able to effectively communicate to a mother who's at 24th Street in North Philadelphia, all the way to the president of the United States. Wow, that is quite the range, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So then what's the biggest communication challenge that you or the Urban Affairs Coalition are facing today? Well, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, and certainly in the midst of social unrest, and really better trying to understand why we are so divided as a nation and as a people, there is an awful lot of information that's coming our way. And so for me, it really is trying to make sure that I'm current on what's being discussed, both external to the Urban Affairs Coalition, as well as internally. One thing that we figured out right away as we looked at the whole issue of the pandemic, the first thing that we knew we needed to do was to organize our communications differently. We've always been good with getting out newsletters and you know targeting those newsletters to our board, to our partners, to broader audiences. We're good on social media, but what we knew we needed to do was focus in on internal communications. And so we went to having daily meetings with all of our partners and programs. We went to having daily communication. So every day we sent out a communication about what was happening uh, with the pandemic and how UAC was responding. We are an essential organization. We have people who are serving people who are housing insecure, those who need food. And there was a lot of information coming at everyone. So I feel really good that we understood the need to communicate, communicate, and communicate. Yes. Kind of like real estate, right? What's the most important thing in, in the real estate market is location, location, location. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I'm going to steal that. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So to get to your role where you are now, what specific communication skills did you have to develop? Well, you know, I've always been good at sort of like one-on-one. -on -one. I'm, I'm a community organizer. When I was in college, I was the communications director for the Black Student Union. I uh, had an opportunity in high school to work on the high school uh, newspaper. So I've always had some ability to be able to connect and talk with people. But coming into the CEO role, though I knew I needed to raise money, I needed to organize, I needed to figure out how do we set priorities, what's our mission, our focus. But what I didn't realize was how 
often I was going to be called on to share ideas, to talk just like I am talking today with people to say, this is what I think, this is what I believe in a way that was organized and wasn't a conversation. I had to ultimately give a speech at a high school or at a professional organization. And so initially I had a communications director and I would say, okay, I need to go speak to someone. She would write me a speech. And I realized that I was just sort of mouthing words, even though the ideas were right. And you might say, well, you probably could have just gotten that off of Google. I mean, so it wasn't really my story. And so I felt as if I wasn't really connecting uh, with the audience. I think I spoke to a group of teens one time and I was like looking at them. And this was even before everybody had an iPhone and they just were paying no attention to me. And I realized I was definitely not getting through. So mm. I talked to a friend who I had worked with in another position and said, look, I'm, I'm really having a tough time, you know, with this whole speech thing. Like, you know, what do I need to do? And he said, look, I got the perfect person for you who's a great speech coach. And so I had a speech coach for a whole year. And then a friend of mine also who is really a good speaker, had come involved with sort of this woman who had a program where she actually was teaching people how to be better communicators. Mm -hmm. And so I went to, uh, must have been like a week long program to sort of learn more about public speaking and how to effectively tell a story. And at the end of that, I walked away after that whole year of study, realizing that I could do this because at the core of a really good speech is really your story. The yes. idea is to try to figure out how do you find your right story in order to connect with that audience in reference to that issue or that idea. And that's where professional support can come in and say, well, this is what these folks care about or are thinking about. And then I try to then think, okay, what's in my life experience or in my work experience would ultimately be an authentic story that I could tell that ultimately would connect and yet make sure that the idea of how or what the lesson is actually gets through. That's how I got at least to this point. And then shortly after that, I actually got a call to be on a television show and I've been on a show called Inside Story in Philadelphia now for probably about 15 years. Oh, that's fabulous. And it really is the challenge of how do you take so many different topics, stories, details, challenges, whatever you need to explain to people and get it down as concisely as possible and with just the right details that are going to resonate with that particular audience, which may be completely different from which details a different audience needs to hear in order to get the same message out of it, isn't it? Right. It absolutely is. So now when I talk to teens, we have a, like a summer jobs program. My main story is my first summer job, which was a peach picker. And they actually do look at me when I start telling this story. Nice. <laughs> nice. And isn't that the biggest, so funny, the things that we look for, like we talk to a bunch of teenagers and we go, I got eye contact. That was awesome. It's very different standard. You know, the things that we think should be taken for granted. It's like, woohoo, eye contact from a teenager. Any parents of teenagers, out there going, how do I do that at the dinner right. table? Huh. <laughs> Gee, that's it. All right, Charmaine, we need to talk after this. Right. <laughs> I hear you, Laura. I hear you. So then on that learning curve, you clearly had a lot of steps along the way to develop the skills that obviously have become so second nature now. But what's a mistake that you made along the way or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? 
Right. Oh my goodness. Even when I think of it today, it still pinches a little bit. It, it used to like be like a, a knife, but now, now it's just a, now it's just a pinch. The wound is um, healing. The wound is healing. <laughs> it was when I was working in a legislative office, it was really sort of like my first like super professional job. And so I'd worked for a friend who ultimately was elected to the state legislature and I became a staff member. And so I got a call from one of the local papers and the reporter says, you know, I want to talk to your boss. And I was saying, well, you know, he's not here right now. Can I help you? So he said, well, you know, we've gotten the word that there's a bill in the cafeteria that hasn't been paid. And I want to know why your boss has not paid his cafeteria bill. So I start explaining about the fact that, you know, we have visitors come to the Capitol. A lot of times we pay for their food and, you know, that these are not wealthy people. As a matter of fact, they're poor. And so I'm sure that we'll get around to sort of figuring out what the problem is and, you know, that we will definitely pay it. Well, the headline in the newspaper the next day was legislative aid says legislator is too poor to pay his cafeteria bill. Okay. <laughs> that stings. Yes. That's a great ouch. way to put it. Yes. Ouch. Ouch. Thank God I wasn't fired. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's one of those moments where, so did you see the headline yourself or did somebody bring it to your attention? No, I saw it myself because number one, I really hadn't had a lot of media training. Sure. And again, I, I was being like honest and direct and so I was just like shocked of all the things that I said that they pulled that out. But ultimately, as I then, for people who ultimately forgave me after they yelled at me an awful lot, um, <laughs> was to say, okay, we need to learn more and talk more about how do we ultimately deal with media. And I think, you know, the big lesson that I took away from that which has always stayed with me is that if someone asks you a question, especially if you're talking to the media and you really want to say, it's okay to say, I hear you, let me think, or let me check on that and I'll call you back. You don't have to answer right away. You don't have to feel as if you have to do something at that particular time. And I think that was the big lesson for me. Not, I'm very comfortable talking to the media now, but if they ever ask me a question, I'm not quite sure what the answer is, or I need to look at more information, or it's a surprise. I'll just say, you know, let me get back to you. Yes, yes. And it is, uh, sometimes the media obviously can be more, have a little bit more integrity than others. Sometimes they're just better listeners than others. And, you know, the, the angle spin or inaccuracies may be a deliberate or just lack of competence at that point. I remember I gave my TED talk at the University of Pennsylvania a few years ago. And one of the elements that I specifically had mentioned in it was that there's a commonly misrepresented statistic in communications research. And it's the 55-38-7 principle as far as where a lot of people mistakenly think that 55% of your communication is body language and 38% is your voice. And so many people will say those kinds of things. And I said, this is most definitely inaccurate. It's about this other thing. But what the student representative from the newspaper wrote, and Dr. Laura Zacola said, 55% of all your communication is nonverbal. And I went, no, actually, you left out a really important word, not. The word is not. 
I said it like 14 times not. So yeah, and when that article came out in the newspaper, I just thought, oh my God, that, wow. Okay, so I wrote a nice little letter to the editor. And so he asked me if I just wanted to write a letter, an op-ed and, and completely set the record straight on about 14 other things that she somehow got wrong. And it's so scary. But Good. nevertheless, yes. oh yes, my it goodness. Is. It is, it becomes, because it's a permanent record, you know? Yes. And you don't, you sort of say like, it's always there. If someone Googles it, it's always there. So, but- I'm okay now. <laughs> you do seem to have recovered and you can't have been too scarred because you accepted my invitation to come here. Right, so absolutely. I, I'm grateful. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. What's the next big goal for you then, whether personally or for the Urban Affairs Coalition and what kinds of communication skills will you need to develop to achieve it? Great question. We are really growing. Even in the midst of all the challenges here, people really understand how important the nonprofit sector is and its key role in being a part of solving problems and solution and finding solutions for those who are most in need in our communities. And so for us, we have been really focused in a lot of the time recently on our technology, which was Thank goodness in the midst of all this that we had already started a really five-year technology plan. Uh, We had already gotten through a couple of stages and we were able uh, to present to the board and they approved us being able to go ahead and spend the funds to continue to develop our technology so that it's a lot easier for people to be able to plug in. We are excited. We are developing the first UAC app. So our programs and partners will be able to actually go to their phone and be able to access their information and data at UAC. So that's going to be a really, really terrific opportunity. So with the increased ability for us to really help programs and services, we're going to be looking regionally and nationally to see how we can best provide our services. One of the things that's really, really hard, and we talked about this earlier People say, I know you guys do like really good stuff and you're like really nice, Charmaine, but what is it that you really do? Mm. And um, because the services that we provide, it's not something that normally people go, oh yeah, I absolutely know that if I want a ham sandwich, I absolutely have to put mayo on it. Right. Or, you know, it, it's not that what we do is top of mind. So people go, I know you guys do something, you help nonprofits and And everybody says it's good. And so what we have, our communication concern, or not concern, but but I would say our ability to tell folks what it is that we do in a concise and clear way has always been a challenge. And so we came up with, the last time we went through a big communication review, uh, we came up with a home for nonprofits. So that gives people a sense that this is a place where nonprofits come together in a place that's safe and is a family kind of setting. But what we really do is really look at the business of nonprofits. So as you might look at a big hospital system and you look at okay, they have 10 hospitals and they're all sort of like separate, but there's like a core organization that they all kind of plug into. That's really what UAC is. We are the place where people plug in and we make sure that accounting, human resources, risk management, cash management, legal, all of those things that help a successful business 
or a successful university or a successful group of organizations do really good work, we make sure that that's there for people who may have a small program in a community or someone who may have a large program. And that way we get to make sure that those services are standardized across the platform of all of our 80 partners. So when someone says, okay, what are the new COVID-19 rules for employees? All those 80 programs don't have to figure that out. We are the ones who will then figure that out and then help figure out, are there ways that it needs to be tailored based on the services that a particular group or organization is presenting? Sure. And the elevator pitch is something that is the bane of the existence of so many people, organizations, companies, et cetera. It's like, you know what you do. And it's so hard to essentialize it into just a couple of sentences that are really are crystal clear in the minds of someone who's either not involved in the industry overall, or just even to people who are to understand exactly the value that you provide, what it looks like. So I think many people out there can really, it'll resonate with them, that challenge of, and it can be something that's easier to do for others, but to do for yourself is surprisingly difficult. It's something that I still struggle with. And there's, uh, you really think that I'd be better at it than I am by now. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Now, Charmaine, this brings us to the listener 24-hour influence challenge. And this is your opportunity, given everything we've talked about so far. This is your chance to speak directly to our listeners and to challenge them to take one step that they can complete in the next 24 hours to have more influence. How do you want to challenge our listeners today? Okay, well, first I want to say hi again to everybody and thank you for being here and for being a part of this conversation. I am having a ball talking with you and certainly Laura has made it quite easy for me to be a part of this wonderful conversation. This was one that, you know, as I think about it, I think about, you know, people coming to me for advice. So I'm lucky that I have had the opportunity to mentor a lot of people over my career. And that was one thing, and especially women. When I became CEO of the Urban Affairs Coalition, I reached out to a a woman who will remain nameless for advice and support. And I didn't sort of feel as if she really engaged me. Um, Maybe I didn't ask for it correctly, but I didn't get the sense that She understood how important it was for me to be successful, and she was a CEO, and I thought she could really help me think through and help me organize myself. And so I make myself extremely available to a lot of folks in order to help them. And so when I'm talking to someone and I've been able to build that relationship over time, people will sort of come and they're, they'll say, you know, should I do this or or how do I do this? So I, I had someone who came to me who was looking for to change jobs and they were ready to go into the C-suite, ready for CEO role, but they were in a position where the CEO role wasn't guaranteed, but another sort of lateral move was guaranteed. And so ultimately we talked about it and we ultimately made the decision that she was making the choice only because she hadn't really asked herself the question, why am I giving up my dream for the CEO? So here's my challenge. If you've had something that you wanted to do and you haven't been quite sure of exactly what it is or why it's like in your way, 
What I found during that conversation with my young friend was the fact that we needed to name it. So I say, if there's something that seems to be in your way or something that you want a decision and you aren't quite sure why you haven't made that choice or made that decision, name exactly what it is that's standing in your way. And I believe that you take the power away from something when you name it. That's my 24 hour challenge. Think of something that is absolutely, that you aren't quite sure what it is, but just seems to be holding you back from something that you really keep saying, okay, by December 31st, I'm gonna get this done, or I'm gonna get it done by June. Oh no, I'll wait until March. <laughs> right now, think of what really is holding you back, name it, write it down, take the power away, and I believe you can get past it. All right, so you're identifying the thing that you have been wanting to do, but haven't managed to do, haven't managed to get around to, and naming, being explicit, maybe writing down what it is that's holding you back. That's all you have to do. Just identify what the problem is that's keeping you from doing it. And then by naming it, I love the idea that you can then literally take whatever had been nebulous before, and you can literally put your finger on it because you just wrote right. it down. Exactly, Laura, exactly. And that makes it much more manageable. Terrific. That's true. All right, so all you have to do is write down one sentence, not even one word, one, one phrase. Word. Right, whatever it is, whatever it is, write it down. Once you write it, it down and see it, you've named it, it's gone. Love it. All right, Charmaine, then this brings us to the part where we talk a little bit more about how you lead others, how you guide others on the journey. When you think about executive presence or leadership presence, command presence, it goes by many names, what's one thing that comes to mind? Well, you know, I really think I try, I believe just my personality as, as to who I am and how I've developed over time is that I have a great degree of confidence because I work really hard and I worry about getting things done well. I have learned not to let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm. I have gotten, I've gotten better there. But the other side is that I'm also comfortable being vulnerable, that it's okay not to know every answer. It's okay to be somewhat concerned. It's okay to ask for help. I don't feel as if that diminishes my power at all. So I'm confident, um, yet at the same time, I'm comfortable being vulnerable. Now, with regard to things like succession planning and developing your people, let's look at two sides of the coin. On the one hand, if you're trying to hire or promote someone into a higher level leadership position, what's a communication skill they must have? And what's a red flag that would keep you from hiring someone or promoting? Right. When I look for someone, I know most of us are always trying to convince people about who we are, mm -hmm. but I'm really looking for that person who's a really good listener mm -hmm. and who really asks great questions. Somewhere along the line, some mentor, and I can't remember which one, but told me the most powerful person in the room is not the person who has the answers. It's the person who has the best questions mm. because that person is really on a journey with you to try to help build consensus to get us all to a place where we can make something important happen. So to me, it is being a great listener, asking questions, digging in, making sure that I really know, that I really understand, getting back to you saying, did you understand that? So it's that sense of the give and take in conversation hmm. that I'm really ultimately looking for when I look for someone 
to move into a C-suite or to be a part of the succession plan at UAC. And then the person who I would be a little bit more concerned about is the person who says, and I've heard this a couple of times, which then I cringe. So when you say, let's work on this project, and I give a lot of information and say, you know, what do you think about this or whatever? Don't worry about it. I got it. Oh, no. <laughs> now, you're, I'm just introducing this to you. You just got here 30 seconds ago. I find it almost impossible to believe that you've got it. And to me, that shows overconfidence mm. and not enough curiosity to make sure that you really know and understand uh, what the challenge is so that I'm comfortable that if I give it to you, that I can then know that you've got it. I need to not hear you say it. I need to know that you've got it. Yeah. Show me, don't tell me. Exactly. With that, let's talk about managing up for a second. Tell me about a time when somebody in your organization pitched an idea to you and it just did not go over well. What should they have done differently? What do you um, Yeah. I, what I need, when someone pitches an idea to me and I absolutely had one where um, I had a team of people come and say, okay, we're going to bring this kind of talent group into the UAC. It's going to be really great. We're going to be able to find funding to support this. And, you know, here's all the data that shows why it will work. And I will say on this one, I don't think I asked enough questions. I don't think I waited long enough because what I did want to do, because these were senior people, I wanted to also balance that of being, okay, always the final decision maker and let them ultimately own this idea. Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, it turned out that we had not done enough homework. We hadn't really figured out how to effectively use this new unit it did happen, though, at the time where, you know, we had a economic downturn. So that certainly had some impact on it. But I do believe that in that particular instance, where we were looking to go into a new line of business, that we really should have spent more time talking to more people, learning more about that line of business before we ultimately uh, made the decision to move into that space. Absolutely. Asking questions when in doubt is always a better approach than rushing in. Now, this brings us finally to the speed round, and we're going to do a super quick speed round today. So what I'm going to do is ask you a couple of choices, and these are all about you. These are issues that regularly come up in my training and coaching with different clients and places where people tend to feel like they're the only ones who struggle with these kinds of things. So I'm going to ask you to first respond with just a single word or phrase, and then I'll ask you for a one sentence follow-up to clarify and give a little bit more detail. So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Love it. Can you give everybody one tip for managing nerves and for speaking with more confidence, even when you don't feel it? Tell your own stories. In the end, the advice that I had, which was find stories throughout your life that you think have some meaning to you that give a lesson, a life lesson, and make those your go-tos for any kind of public speaking. Tell your story. Absolutely. Now, 
Charmaine, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Where do you fall in that continuum? Right. No, people, whenever I tell people this, they go, absolutely, Charmaine, that's not possible. I am an (laughs) introvert. I am an introvert. And the way I understand it is, is that I am really good with people. I'm really great with people, but I love that sort of quiet space and time where I'm talking to myself and thinking through things that are going on in the world. I get re-energized just with me. (laughs) And so to me, that sort of says that I'm more on the introvert side than I am on the extrovert side. And tell me as a more introvert than extrovert, what's one simple strength of being an introvert and what's one area for growth? What's something you're working on? I can absolutely think through it. I am very comfortable taking an issue or an idea or a problem and really just sort of thinking it through whether I'm in the shower or whether I'm sort of the first person up in the morning and making my breakfast in a quiet space. It really gives me a chance when there's so much going on around me all day, 1,000 emails, 900 phone calls, 565 employees, 80 programs. (laughs) It gives me a chance to have that quiet space to really contemplate, think, and plan my time, both my days um, as well as longer term goals. And then what's something that you realize you still need to work on? I think I still need to work on the ability to say no. I have a disease. It's called the inability (laughs) to say uh, no. I'm still working on that because I'm always excited by other people's energy for something. And so I've gotten better at saying, yes, but I can give you an hour. I can't give you two years. Yes, but I'm creeping along to that. (laughs) No, I'm not there yet, but I'm at the yes, but stage. All right. We're we're moving in that direction. We're starting to veer off into the not 100% acceptance. I appreciate that. I have that same disease. Then finally, let's talk about handling conflict. When you're faced with a potential conflict or a difficult conversation, we all have to deal with it at some point or other, but is your natural instinct, your DNA hardwiring to want to avoid it or to want to dive in and address it head on? Right. I I want to dive in and address it uh, head on. Again, I remember life lessons. Maybe that's why I know I'm an introvert. I remember when I was in college and I went to a friend's dorm room and we were supposed to be working on a project or something. And she said, I just need to know something about you. And I was like, okay. And she said, are you a procrastinator? (laughs) And I honestly did not know the meaning of the word. And I was like, it sounded bad. So I said, no, no, I'm not. Then of course I ran out, got a dictionary. This is before you could Google things and realized what it was. And it said, it's people who say that they're going to do something that they don't ultimately get it done. So no, (laughs) I absolutely believe in the fact that you have to be committed and you have to get things done. And so the idea of, of not following through and not going directly at a problem or an issue is something that I find that in the end, you spend more time trying to clean something up than you do trying to solve the problem right then. I I immediately call people, start talking to people. Okay, I think I've got this problem. I'm not quite exactly sure how I'm supposed to do to handle it. What do you think? What other people should we talk to? Okay, how much time? All right, we have 24 hours. I just immediately get into problem-solving mode and move it ahead. And I found that that's always been successful. So it was that 
procrastination word that I didn't know that did it for me, Laura. <laughs> nice. Didn't want to fall into that category. Did I not did want not that want to, to apply fall to you. into that category. It's an integrity piece. I appreciate that. Then Charmaine, how can people learn more about you and the Urban Affairs Coalition? Well, we would love for them to come and visit our website. Uh, as a matter of fact, as a part of our technology, we have updated it. It's a lot easier to navigate and there's a lot of great information there. So you can go to uac.org. Of course, the www.uac.org can give you a lot of information about the coalition. We're doing some tremendous work right now, really trying to get people focused around talking about racism. Uh, mm. And we're bringing together leaders across the city, young business community to really begin conversations that we think are really hard conversations, but that yeah. are critical if we're ultimately going to end racism in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. That's uh, and so please click on join us. We love for people to have conversations. I've already gotten some emails from people who said, I started having some conversations at home, Charmaine. I saw your podcast or I saw your interview in reference to that because Dan Hilferty and I, the president of IBC, mm -hmm. have a conversation about race. And so they were like really excited to say, okay, we can see how you can have that conversation safely, yes. but yet still at the same time, not dishonestly. Right. And so I am hopeful that we will move the needle. That is always the goal. That's exactly why I'm doing all of this. It's about moving the needle one conversation at a time. Absolutely. And Charmaine, thank you so much for being my guest today and having this conversation with me. Okay. Can I give you my final two words? Yes, of course. Stay curious. Oh, I love it. Well, that's a given. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, an easy disciple for that. All right, Laura, thank you so much. And again, I really appreciate you inviting me to be a part of this. And thanks for everything that you're doing for all of us as well. Oh, thank you. This has been a true pleasure. And I want to thank everybody else out there for tuning in as well. So be sure to subscribe, by the way, to all of you listeners out there, if you haven't subscribed yet, so you never miss an episode. And if you're feeling super generous today, give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Socola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.